The New Hollywood Podcast is brought to you by the Apple TV Plus series, Truth Be Told. When new evidence compels podcaster Poppy Parnell to reopen the murder case that made her a national sensation, she comes face to face with the man she may have mistakenly helped to put behind bars. Based on the novel by Kathleen Barber, Truth Be Told provides a unique glimpse into America's obsession with true crime podcasts and challenges its viewers to consider the consequences when the pursuit of justice is placed on a public stage. The drama series stars Octavia Spencer. For your Emmy consideration, visit fyc.appletvplus.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Deadline's New Hollywood Podcast, At Home Edition. We keep changing that to either quarantine or at home. It's the same. It's one and the same. <laughs> Anyways, I am Amanda Nduka. And I am Dino Ray Ramos. And this week we have the funny, the talented, the smart, and he's also a handsome guy, Hassan Minaj uh, of, of the Patriot Act. And you've seen him on many other things, The Daily Show. He's been right. in movies, he's been on TV. Uh, he broke down so much knowledge for us. He yeah. made me feel like I, he, he, not like I was like in a classroom, but I, he just, just the way he framed a lot of things, how he compared, you know, South, a some, uh, you know, his culture to Nigerian culture. It was, yeah. it was just so yeah. fun to like and talk with him. And if you haven't seen the Patriots Act, which is on Netflix, um, he he really takes these issues that are going on in in the world, not just you know everywhere, and he breaks it down and he and he and he gives you an understanding using like. He gives you the, the foundation of issues and he gives you an understanding of why things are the way they are. And there's so many things that I've, uh, so many things that he's talked about in that episode that I had no idea. Like I was, we talked about the fast uh, fashion industry and, and how that has, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the highest growing industries and it take and it's eating up basically all of <laughs> our, um, it's, it's basically not really good for the environment. And I, oh, I'm a yeah. fashion shopper. I didn't even, <clears throat> I didn't even know Zara was considered a fast, 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 yeah, fast yeah. place, but um, when I worked in fashion, I like I <laughs> no, I did like a whole thing. I remember this has been a problem for yeah. a long, long time. Like the fashion industry is probably one of no, I think it's like the the waste from the fashion industry is out through the roof. It's out of control. Right. right. Like they use so much water as well because of dyes and everything yeah, like that. It's, yeah. it's like, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, I know fast fashion is easy and everything, yeah. but you know, it's, it's just something to marinate on before yeah, you go out to like your Forever 21 or H&M and, 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 and buy something. Yeah, that's what it does show. Cause I've, I mean, fast fashion is just an example, but I've, he did, he did one on student debt. He did, he did one on, um, why the Asian Asian American vote is important. Like it gives you an understanding of these things. And like I said, these are things that maybe we don't look into in our everyday, you know, our everyday life. But when you when you watch the show, you you see there are things that, you know, that are that are there are things to think about. So that's what I, I really like about the show. Um, and Hassan, he's he's amazing. He break like like you said, he breaks it down to an understanding. He he's and he's good at like, he's good at really, and then this is what I got from watching it. He's good at really making, like, he comes off very per like per he personal. He's talking to Personal, you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it, even, well, like, of course he was talking to us one-on-one, -on -one, but right. like, one-on-two, on whatever you want to say. Yeah. Even though there's something very personal about 
his, his delivery of information and just the way he does things. Um, uh, and it's I, I'm just I'm just glad to see you know a brown face in this kind of role. Um, right. You know, we we seldom see that, and I think he does it so well. And no shade, he does it better than others sometimes. But, <laughs> uh, but it's something that I could relate to. Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so without further ado, here is Hassan. Hassan, thank you so much for joining us today. So yeah. how, have you been, how have you been holding up? Do you guys like, like that? Segue? So, <laughs> so, you know, um, in, New York got hit pretty bad, um, especially Manhattan, where the show is based. Um, around mid-March, things kind of got really, really, kind really crazy in Hell's Kitchen mm -hmm. uh, area where we are. The, uh, an outbreak happened at CBS across the street from our studio, next door, in 60 minutes, and we had to shut down production um, just for the health and safety of the entire staff, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we all kind of had to regroup as a team. Like everybody had to figure out what our situation was with our families. Um, people, especially in our staff, were really worried about you know the health and well-being not only of their family but just the, their financial future. Um, right. And then Prashant and I, while we were figuring things out with Netflix, we we put together this idea for um, a quarantine version of the show. How do we do this with green screen where we can maintain the, the visual aesthetic and quality of the show with mm -hmm. the research? And how do we have a, how do we have like a complete remote post workflow, which right. I, so much of comedy rooms and writing rooms is in person. Mm -hmm. It was figuring all that out, but this saved because I was losing my mind just being at home every day, <laughs> not knowing what day it was. So. <laughs> Luckily, the past few weeks I've had a creative outlet, but yeah, I was starting to go a little bonkers. How has it been? Because you're recording with no audience, and you usually record in front of an audience. Like, yeah, like, that energy is kind of missing. I'm guessing. Yeah, that's the one thing that I miss most about you know not having um, a live studio audience. So much of the show and the rhythm of the show is that connection, um, and we've had to adjust that a little bit with the writing. Now the show really much feels very much feels like this visual podcast inside of my house where mm -hmm. I'm just looking directly at camera one and almost just telling you a story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas before there would be these applause break moments or these moments where I would break and turn to the audience to the, my left or right and kind of check in with them and be like, isn't that kind of crazy? Now that's just <laughs> happening. Yeah. <laughs> camera. But it's not like it's an you know, I thought it would be really weird, but it's not a new concept. And I think, you know, you guys also hosting a podcast, you understand the intimacy of the medium. Mm -hmm. You just lean into that. You know, you yeah. know, there's not going to be rockets, applause or anything like that. So you lean into what you do have, which is just a, a very, very close connection. Yeah. To... And in some ways it's less pressure, right? Like if, you know, if a joke doesn't land, like you thought it would, it wouldn't, I mean, I don't know if it's... <laughs> Okay. You just have to kind of like throw caution to the wind and like hopefully someone out there is laughing, right? Interesting. Some people said they were like, at first I was, I didn't know, I didn't know if I should laugh because there was no mm. audience. Mm. Like there are these cues that watching a live studio show give you where you feel like, oh, I'm not in the room, but I know the room likes this, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And um, I think, again, people, people quickly within a week or two got over that because you watch single camera comedies all the time and, mm-hmm. and you yourself, you know when to laugh. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that we did, we did kind of benefit, I'm a person that talks really fast. And because of this new situation that we're in, um, coincidentally enough, the clarity is, you know, really translating because you just have my voice. It's not being drowned out by laughs or groans or applause. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Hassan, I want to take it back with you and, and talk about your, your journey throughout this industry. It's always sure. really interesting to talk to immigrants or first generation Americans and especially that are in entertainment because a lot of our, you know, a lot of us have the same type of parents, the same type of background that that's not something that was was really encouraged. So yeah. for you, when when you decided to get into comedy, yeah. how how did how did your parents first of all, let me ask you, when did you figure out you were funny? First of all, <laughs> and how did your how did your parents initially react when you said that you were gonna you were gonna venture into this world? So, um, you know, I'm first generation. My parents are Indian American immigrants. They came here. In, my dad came here in 1982. He's a chemist. Uh, my mom, she studied medicine. Um, both of them are state employees. My dad uh, worked for the Cal EPA for 35 years. My mom still works for the VA at uh, Mather in in Sacramento. And um, Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, not, we're actually not the cool part. Bay Area, you're Bay Area adjacent. adjacent. Yeah, <laughs> capital A adjacent. <laughs> but um, yeah, their dreams for me were, you know, pre-med. And so, I, and I really bought into that. I didn't, I, so much of inspiration when it comes to art is when you see other people who look like you on screen or in media. Um, it not only validates like your existence, but it makes you think that it's possible. Um, and it's, it's, it just didn't really exist at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I was like a super academic kid, speech and debate kid. And nice. yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize I was, I didn't know I was being funny, but whenever I would do impromptu debate um, or, or um, speeches during competitions, anytime I made the judges laugh, they would always give me 10 or 15 points higher on my final marks. Mm-hmm. And um, again, like it was just reading the room and breaking the fourth wall and being present, which are so, so important in comedy, just honesty. And it wasn't until college, um, my freshman year, I was watching um, a stand up special with a friend of mine. And he, I was watching it with him. It was Chris Rock's Never Scared. It was in 2004. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is funny speech and debate. Mm-hmm. He's just mm. constructing an argument, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. doing it in a comedic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like so many people in college, you know, Daily Show and Jon Stewart and Colbert Report, those became big ways that I learned about the news and I just mm-hmm. kind of um, expanded my comedy palette from there. But that kind of gave me the bug. and. I just started going to open mics and performing and hiding it from my parents. <laughs> so, <laughs> but when you first revealed it to them, when did you let them know this is what you were doing? Like how, how long, how far along were you into it before you told them? I think about, I think about my junior year. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. and I got caught because I took the mic to, um, to an open mic. Mm. Um, and I, when I told them I was at the library and um, <laughs> 
I ended up, I ended up getting into an accident. It was raining really hard and I hydroplaned and my car hit this divider. Oh God. I was on the side of the road and I, and like, I had to call, uh, I had to call home. And I remember the call, I called my mom and she did the classic mom thing. She was like, she heard what happened and she's like, I, I'm going to give the phone to your dad. And I knew. <laughs> that is such a mom thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like she was like, look, I, I can't, the, the level of shit you're in right now. I can't, I can't yeah. I, there's nothing I can, and, and, and I can't carry this burden for you anymore, Hassan. I got to give this to your father. Oh, <laughs> I think we've all been in that position before, especially for, uh, well, like, I think it's interesting. My dad the other day was like, you know, there's a lot of healthcare jobs because of this virus. You know, it's not (laughs) late to go to med school. And I'm like, Amanda, Amanda, are you, are you Nigerian out of curiosity? (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. As soon as you said med school, I was like, Nigeria, Nigerians and Indians, our parents are exactly the same. Yes. It's it's literally like we have this conversation. I don't even, I can't even count how many times when I'm, because I'm, I'm home now with them in Texas. So I like literally, he tells me and my sister, he's like, cause my sister is a makeup artist. He's uh-huh. like, you know, it's not too late. Cause my sister's also, she also got her law. Uh, she passed her bar exam. So she's actually an attorney in Texas. Oh my God. So he's, he's like, it's not too <laughs> late to do this. And I'm, I'm like, dad, it is too late. Like it's not, this is not happening. Give it up. But he no, never, I don't, I believe he's ever going to stop. Nigerians, so. y'all don't, you guys don't play around. Like oh, every no. one of my Nigerians. <laughs> Every single one of my Nigerian friends that I grew up with, their entire family, all the kids, they're starting five are just yeah. superstars. It'll be like, this is my brother, Ola. He's a civil engineer. This is my yes. sister, so-and-so. Like, yes. <laughs> family full of doctors, family full of engineers. Everybody has like a professional person like in their family. So. But they come, it's like, you got to come super correct. Right, oh, right. God. But it, I mean, it makes sense because like our, our Nigeria is a third world country. Like, yeah. They weren't exposed to the things that we're exposed to. So I get it why they, you know, why they want this for us. But sometimes it's like, okay, but we grew up here. It's not the same. Like, let's yeah. try to explore. Let's try to explore new things and evolve, you know? Yeah. Uh. I think, yeah. I think, like, my parents have gotten off my back. I just don't think they care anymore. They're just like, uh, <laughs> they're just like, <laughs> But, but like from jump, they were they were just like, just do do whatever you want. No, no, they hated it. They hated everything I did. They were just like, they're like, oh, you want to be a journalist? But what's the backup plan? Yeah, exactly. No, I still get a backup plan. Yeah. And then sometimes like oh, with how things are going, I'm all, I might as well, I, I say this a lot. I might as well just lean into the Filipino-ness of it all and become a nurse, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like... RNs have great work-life balance. The hours, <laughs> especially, especially right now. Right? No, all my no, all my friends back in the Bay Area, they're just like, I, I like all of them are working like crazy hours, and they they're always like exposed to stuff. But it's like I'm like, oh, maybe I should have just been a nurse. My sister's a nurse. My my aunt's a nurse. Um, yeah, everyone's pretty much a nurse. And then I mean, it's great. But also, I just read this whole thing about. It was in the LA Times on why there's so many Filipino nurses. Um, what is the but, why? What's the story? I, no, that's that's interesting. I, from what I understand, it was basically they outsourced to like this is like mm-hmm. Cliff Notes version. They outsourced to the Philippines. They're like, oh, let let's get all these Filipinos to the United States to work at nurses, pay them half the price, and they're basically custodians. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it 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 kind of just like went from there. But then when was this? Like in the seventies and the eighties? Yeah, I've, I want to say 70s, like maybe 60s, 70s. Uh, so, um, um, but yeah, that there's a, the article is on LA Times uh, by Frank 
Chong? Chong, I think is his last name. Um, sorry, Frank. I know him too, and I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm trash. Um, so, but no, it's it's an interesting you know, how do we, story. How do we read the article if we don't have a password to get into the LA Times? I, know. I think it, I think it's free, isn't it? It's no, not free, okay. Dino. They, they did, but oh. they did, they did let it. They did make it free. They took the paywall down for a little bit, but it's probably back up. They took it down with oh. the quarantine. Oh, well, about, you know what? I'll, I'll hook you. There's there's four I'll, articles that are in my that are in the tabs of my Safari browser right now that I'm dying to read, but they're paywalled. How about I'll just cut and paste and then I'll send it to you. <laughs> Give me that bootleg control C control. C. <laughs> We'll, we'll 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 screenshot. We'll we'll do bootlegging uh, newspaper articles is the new pastime during quarantine. You know, at least make them all free. But and plus, like they, you know, we we some we get them free because we work a deadline for the most part. But sometimes we have to re-log in, and I forget the password. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Hassan, uh, you know, from what I notice, or even from personal experience, you know, children of immigrants. You know, growing up, there, there's like, especially I think in my in, in a certain generation, you either really embrace your culture, like really, really embrace it, or you tend to have a difficult time navigating and accepting certain parts of the culture because you're trying to assimilate. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, being from a South Asian family, were you one or the other, a little of both, and how did how did your personal journey with your cultural identity kind of just feed into your comedy and and you know the decisions you make with your career yeah so i'm i'm 34 and so growing up in you know born in the 80s grew up in the 90s early 2000s um especially for me um assimilation was the win you know really fitting into what's quote unquote american culture that that really meant you made it. So Americanizing your name, um, really showing that how, how much you can be like everybody else, that really was um, considered to be a good thing. I didn't realize until probably around 2012, 2013, 2014, that all the artists and the people that I really loved and respected are super authentic and authenticity um, is what helped them break through. And so right around that, that point in my career, when I had been doing stand-up about eight, nine years, I was like, um, this diet version of myself isn't gonna work. And I don't think I'm gonna be particularly successful going this route. I won't find personal satisfaction from it. And I don't think, I, I think at some point the audience will also be like, that's not who he really is, you know? And um, that, that's really, what I've kind of leaned into the past, you know, six or seven years of my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just so interesting because uh, there was a time in my life when I would be known as a coconut, you know, that kind of thing. Because of course, and also my dad was in the military. That's That was his ticket to the United States from the Philippines. So he huh. joined the American military. So I don't know, I've never really had that conversation with my dad because, you know, about, you know, how American he wanted us to be because he was in the military. So I would figure he wanted us to assimilate. And I've, I've always had an interesting kind of take on my own identity. It wasn't until college when I realized, oh, wow, I, I'm, I'm different, you know. Um, but when, you know, when you were creating Patriot, Patriot Act, yeah. how did you want it to be different from other current event talk shows. I mean, obviously you insert yourself a lot into it, but you know, 
and also you're probably one of the few brown people who are hosting a show like this but how other than that how did you want to make it stand out yeah so you know being at the daily show for the the four years i was there was an amazing experience um learning under john and trevor was awesome but when you're a correspondent on an ensemble show uh you're really servicing the vision of the host and um because you know it was linear kind of cable you're locked into the seven minute act format and if you're coming in as a correspondent that means you're getting maybe like four or five minutes on any given show which isn't enough time to unpack a lot of the things that i was really really passionate about so it was a great platform to learn about take and perspective and how to break down the news and in global politics um but i remember just telling myself as i was you know, doing Homecoming King off Broadway, I want to do projects and work that feel authentic. And when I got the chance to pitch the idea for Patriot Act, just the ethos that I had for it is, I want the show to be as real as the WhatsApp thread. Mm. I don't know. If, I don't know if you have like if you WhatsApp your friends and family domestically and overseas, yeah. but the WhatsApp thread is popping like. Yeah. You're talking, it is. About, you're talking about news, you're talking about culture, you're talking about Modi, you're talking about Duterte, you're talking about, <laughs> yes, you're really talking about super heavy subject matter that ironically enough, oftentimes gets censored around the world, but you get to be who you really are there. And so I wanted the show to almost feel like that, but to have the, um, to have the gravitas and the fact check and all that stuff come correct. I didn't want it to just be the WhatsApp thread that's like fake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that part of WhatsApp that you're like, where did that video come from and why is my aunt sending it to me? <laughs> but the discourse, there's, there was so much of that discourse that was missing that mm -hmm. is on page A1 of the New York Times, that there's so much of that perspective. And I wanted to bring what was otherwise relegated to the opinion page or the international news page and bring that front and center. And um, that's been my goal with the show. Do you well, I oh, sorry, I, I was just gonna say, I never realized how real are what my WhatsApp conversations are because you're just chilling and talking in there. Yeah, but that's who you really are. Like that's who Dino really is. That's who Amanda really is. And like, yeah. you're able to, those convos that I have with my friends around the world, I get to see people like the full person that they are their political mm -hmm. beliefs, their ratchet beliefs, all of it. <laughs> true, true. Do you ever get like any kind of pushback? Because you obviously you go into the, in, these industries and you impact a lot of things about that people don't pay attention to. Like I was just watching your fast fashion one. Right. I was so surprised about how they keep labeling all this stuff as eco-friendly or whatever, but it's right. really, you know, do you ever get anybody coming to you or sending you cease and desist letters or anything like that. Yeah, so like, I first things first, just huge shout out to our news producer. You know, I have some of the best, you know, researchers in the business and I work with really, really talented folks at Patriot Act and our legal team that protects us from getting sued. So <laughs> it, like, yeah, there's moments where I, you know, I drink my Kanye juice in the morning and I jump up <laughs> on tables and I'm like, I read the Inditex reports. I gotta go at H&M and Zara. <laughs> Be very careful. Like yeah. these people are incredibly litigious. So you have to say almost, not always. Or you have to like, they make sure my, my language is airtight. And so, um, 
I've been protected, but yes, we, we tackle a lot of third rail issues and we, we definitely take our swings. But again, like, um, while I do, while I'm doing the show, I I want the show to represent that, you know, and I want to be that. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting because I think a lot of our, the news that we're listening to now, especially because it's coming off of social media or Twitter, it's all it's mostly opinion stuff, and it's yes. and it's really it's really hard. I don't like to tout the fake news um, um, cry, but I it's really hard to, when I watch news channels and I'm like, wait, but that's not that's not the whole story. Or I read something on like a the shade room, which is probably the, <laughs> first, <laughs> the first place to get news. From. What's, the, what's the other one? Jasmine brand? Jasmine brand. Wait, you should have started with that. You're like, look, when I'm reading the shade room, I'm like, I don't know what about the Uyghurs is right. But like, cause sometimes they'll even pull stories that we do. And I'm like, that's not the full story. Like give people, no. but it's like, they have 10, 20 million followers who are using them as Bible. So whatever they say is the truth. It's like, yeah. Do you okay. find do you find it hard to to sort of convince people? Like I don't know if it's if news. I feel like news is having a problem like convincing people that what they're saying is based on facts these days because everybody right. automatically doesn't trust what's coming out of the news. So do you I have a hard time with that. Yeah. So I think what's happened, and and this began in the early aughts and in in the early two thousands. John, this was really his perspective, and I I had I couldn't have imagined how it could have how it metastasized. But he he did talk about this a lot that the 24-hour news cycle is a very bad thing because you're filling time. And a byproduct of having to fill time is that you have to fill news hours with personalities mm-hmm. and you have to have conflict. Um, and th- then those personalities become brands and quickly something like the news becomes muddled where you'll see a panel and you don't know, hey, is this objective reality or is this an opinion debate? Um, I will say this though, good news is out there. There is good reporting happening. Um, it's just that, look, when you listen to NPR in the morning, it can be boring. You know, anytime Mm. someone says the news is fake, I'm like, man, Terry Gross must be so offended. (laughs) (laughs) Terry's been out here for decades being cogent, clear, fact checking. I mean, anytime you listen, I listen to like WNYC in the morning or anything like that. If you listen to that international broadcast hour, it's super dry, it's super boring, and they're very, very airtight. And, um, but unfortunately, that's not the stuff that makes this. Yeah. You know, that that doesn't get a ton of traction uh, on what you missed on Twitter. Um, People shouting at each other um, on panel shows does, and people dunking on each other. And so, look, I'm, I'm not bigger than it, though. Like, my show is, is a news-driven opinion show. I do have a take. I am constructing an argument through it. So I think that the people like the Terry Grosses, the Nicholas Kristofs, those people deserve to be big upped a lot more because they've been in the trenches doing really great reporting for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, those things don't trend as well as controversy. Right. Mm-hmm. And what? deadline. Let's not forget <laughs> Yeah. Hey, look, no, no, man. Like, let's talk. Let's just be real. There's the deadline yeah. article, and then there's the deadline comment section. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Boy, we have to clearing that. We have to clear that a lot. But that, that to me, so represents the dichotomy between right. objective reality and opinion. 
You're and right. And oh man, whoever Anonymous is, woo! <laughs> Anonymous is a, has a lot to say. L but so listen, like when we, when, when, when I'm tasked to clean out those comments and they're over like a thousand in there, yeah. it, it, it tortures me. <laughs> Yeah, especially it, it, when it's about, especially if it's about politics or something like that. Like you'll, oh, it's so it's so funny. But politics bring they they it brings the race. It's not funny, but it really brings the racism out on people. Like for some reason, I don't even know how those two could, um, come together. But but no no being politics, it's like, but yeah, come, you know, it's okay to come at me for my review of a certain show if I don't like, you know, the latest episode of Killing Eve or something like that. Yeah, we could have discourse about that. But, you know, if I present, if we present a fact, don't say we're wrong, you know. Yeah. Wait, but, Hassan, you know. Where do you get your news from? What do you, what do you yeah. usually log into? So, I'm a fan. I'll do, I'll kind of just, you know, split it up amongst multiple little buckets. Okay. I'll do Twitter to just see what the water cooler is of discourse around topics, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. And then I'll also, what I love doing, I used to have this, um, is the physical paper. Because I, what I love about the physical paper, both the Times and the Journal, is that the news ends. Because mm -hmm. on oh, the, God. the news, the scroll will never end. So there's yeah. no end. Twitter has no end. Um, what I love about both of those, if you look at the opinion page for both the Times and if you look at the Wall Street Journal, and some of the, the writers, they, they fall far on the spectrum. But what it just lets me do is it lets me not only see the news from page A1 to page A8, but then also see what are people's opinion based on that? What is Farhad Manju's opinion based on the news? What is mm -hmm. their opinion based on this? What is Brett Stevens' opinion based on what's happening here? Mm -hmm. What's Donnie Coates' opinion based on these things that are happening on pages A1 through A8, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. okay. That helps kind of inform my opinion where I go, okay, this is the story, and then these are people's takes or perspective on the story. Yeah. Okay. And what, what, when you, do you have like certain topics that you haven't tackled yet on your show that you're, you're, you're have gearing up or how do you go about like choosing which topics you want to tackle? Yeah. Like for me, it's always been stories have fallen in two buckets. There's things that you do care about and things that you should care about. So episodes like Amazon, um, you know, uh, student loans, those are things that you already do care about when rubber meets the road. Like it's it's not a hard sell. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm paying Navient my student loans. I, I'll, I'm gonna watch this. Or yeah, yeah, I use Amazon Prime every day. I'll watch this episode on Amazon. Or you know, drug pricing and insulin. Like these are huge worlds that affect a lot of people. Then there's things that you should care about. You know, our episode about say Sudan or the, mm. the, the elections in the Philippines. These are things that feel esoteric or a million miles away. Censorship in China. Mm -hmm. Those episodes, which ended up popping, are a little bit more work because you have to you have to storytell more to yeah. create the world and the stakes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I liked how oh. when you were doing the marijuana one, you were like, "I'll just tell you the history." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't have time, it's pretty racist. But all right, here. <laughs> the new Hollywood podcast is brought to you by the Apple TV Plus series "Truth Be Told." When new evidence compels podcaster Poppy Parnell to reopen the murder case that made her a national sensation, she comes face to face with the man she may have mistakenly helped to put behind bars. 
Based on the novel by Kathleen Barber, Truth Be Told provides a unique glimpse into America's obsession with true crime podcasts and challenges its viewers to consider the consequences when the pursuit of justice is placed on a public stage. The drama series stars Octavia Spencer. For your Emmy consideration, visit fyc.appletvplus.com. Hassan, um, you know, being South Asian, how does your cultural experience I mean, you touched on this word, but play into your comedy. And I know that, you know, a lot of, you know, Asian uh, and people of color or even queer comics use, you know, their identity as, you know, fuel for their comedy. But how do you kind of straddle that line of kind of being educational and teaching and entertaining rather than making the culture a butt of a joke? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um. You know, there's this really great writer named Malika Rao. She wrote a really lovely thing about the show and the Atlantic. And she said, um, the show feels like I'm welcoming you into my living room. Mm-hmm. And I was very kind of her to write that because that that has been my intention of the show. I've tried to, to the best of my ability, be a good faith actor and a good faith interviewer. Even when I'm interviewing people that I may disagree with, like for example, the interview I did with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, there's things that I questioned him about in regards to the armed, the Saudi arms deals or his position on climate change. Um, and if he was doing enough, um, I've, I, I've always approached it from, hey, I'm going to be um, an empathetic and optimistic good faith actor. I'm not gonna come here assuming that you're a bad person or that I'm going to try to quote unquote get you or trap you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and I'm not trying to screw you over through the edit and stuff like that. And so that has been my approach. And some of the, I think that's translated some of the nicest things that have happened to me is people have come up to me in the airport and they're like, man, I disagree with you, but I think you're, I think you're cool. Mm. They're yeah. like, I, I don't like your politics or I, I disagree with your position, but I think you're a nice guy. And I think that is kind of missing from modern discourse, especially in this country. Yeah. We yeah. can disagree with another but we can still approach each other with a level of civility and it doesn't have to be absolute hatred or you're a part of my tribe yeah, yeah. definitely cool. and i have to say like when i watch it it seems so like i mean you come off like you're you're you're, you're talking to this person and you're really trying to give this this person the hard facts and not you know it, it's it's it just i don't know i felt it was really especially the student loan debt when i was like this is this is really for i felt it was really for me i thought it was really personal somehow I, yeah yeah it just felt like you were talking to me. <laughs> um, so you had the, your comedy special, Homecoming King, which um, it, it was- a Which could be, it could be, that Homecoming King could be the prequel to Homecoming, Beyonce's Homecoming. <laughs> you know, but do you have, Beyonce, do you have- Beyonce saw that and was like, okay, I can, I can do this better. <laughs> well, at least if people- she did, and she people, did. People search Homecoming on, on Netflix. On Netflix, yeah. Both. both of them pop up <laughs> and it's beyonce so <laughs> double feature <laughs> um, so what um are you planning on any more comedy specials and what other things do you have coming up that you can talk to us about yeah so you know we we have the new season of patriot act right now yeah. every sunday um knock on wood tentatively the white house correspondence dinner is still planned to happen in august at the end of august in some shape or form Look, the news keeps changing on what's happening and what's allowed in the world every three hours. So I don't know where that's going to be. Um, and then, yeah, I had a tour planned in the fall uh, of working on a new special, um, the next one man show. 
And um, I'm really excited about that stuff. So, but again, look, so much is up in the air and yeah. on the cause in the world. So I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So is your so your what your tour was already planned uh, for fall? But are you gonna? That's still in limbo, or I think we're gonna push to 2021. Okay. I think that's yeah. gonna happen, but um, I think uh, for now I'm gonna put all my creative energy and and every Sunday, you know, doing doing an episode of Patreon. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Okay, so we like to wrap up this uh, this talk with this thing we call the facts, the FAQs, just just fun questions that we want, like to end with. Yeah. So your first question is, what was your first live comedy show you remember attending? Okay, so this was at the Sacramento Punchline. I okay. I and. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, a lot of judgment there, Dino. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, was it? I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I just have a judgmental face, sorry. <laughs> you know, that okay, the, the tenor and the tone of that okay is showing me that you're not a good faith actor. You're coming in hot with the opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you're leading with the opinion. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I grew up in Davis. It was the only comedy club, that, it was the closest comedy club nearby. It was an open mic. It was open mic night. It was on Tuesday night. And I remember I ordered, I had to order, you know, you have a two, two drink or two item minimum. I don't drink. So I had to order nachos and Coke. And <laughs> I didn't know. I, I sat alone up front and every comedian ripped on me. Uh, <laughs> but it was actually really inspiring because I was watching the show and I realized that I was like, oh, I can be just as funny as some of these. Like there's people that bombed and I'm like, I can be as funny as that. <laughs> like I can do this so it was incredibly inspiring so um to all those comics that ripped on me that night you inspired me got me a comic. <laughs> okay um what was the last thing you postmated grubhubbed or door dashed <laughs> you know Bina my wife grubhubbed I think it was yes yeah, seamless she was really craving cheesecake mm. she cheesecake she got four different slices of cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory and we had a little cheesecake oh, paste off. It was really That good. sounds good. I actually recently bought that brown bread from the grocery store. That sounds so basic. That makes it sound so basic, but it was- <laughs> No, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Cheesecake Factory cheesecake. I, I'll fuck with yeah, that any not, day. Not this quarantine, like you have, people, we have to just start doing, I mean, we just did a fish fry yesterday with the family. All we did was fried catfish, but it's not even like, but it's like, oh, we're doing a fish fry, you guys. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All these small things- That sounds good too, man. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten today yet. Right. <laughs> um, okay. This is another one. Would you rather have edible spaghetti hair that regrows every night or sweat maple syrup? <laughs> spaghetti hair every night. <laughs> maple syrup is gonna be too sticky. It's yeah, gonna yeah, you're right. What like mm. already doing, you know, changing your sheets, duvet. <laughs> Uh, that, that is that, that, I, don't that want, is. I, don't, I don't want that that maple stress yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay if you could convince everyone in the world to do one thing at one point in time what would it be hmm. okay this is going to tie into the, our conversation earlier okay okay, <laughs> okay. 
this is a very niche thing, but <laughs> hey, that thing that you want to tweet or say right now, maybe just wait to post it tomorrow. Mm. Oh, that's good. That I is think, good. I think a lot of stuff that has happened where people are going at each other could have entirely been avoided had you just waited for the tornado of emotion to subside mm. yeah. and revisit it the next day and see that it most likely was not worth it. Yeah. yeah. I do that a lot. There's a lot of tweet drafts in my Twitter account that I, <laughs> that I don't fire off. That you sat on? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, probably a lot of people that would benefit from, from, from waiting a day. Um, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? Actually, this is actually a huge shout out. This is a shout out to, to Lin-Manuel Miranda. How mm. positive is Lin-Manuel Miranda on Twitter? Yeah. I know. He's like, it, it's just so, every, it's just like a, a ray of sunshine. I know that sounds yeah. cheesy, but it's, it is, it, it, he, he's never negative. He, he's just like, oh, we're here. We're here together. Another day is tomorrow. It's just like so inspiring. He's kind of like you know, if him and Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights. Like, right? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Him and Coach Taylor, I love it. Wide eyes. What is it? Wide eyes. Oh uh, wait, wide eyes. I know. Oh, what, what is it like? Wide clear, eyes. Clear, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Yes. Okay. So what is an unpopular opinion? Unpopular opinion you have when it comes to TV or film? Uh oh. I like Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I and mean, are you I, I honestly, I think they're ridiculous now. I mean, I loved them in the beginning. Like, I loved the first couple, but now they're they're all superheroes. Like, where did they get all these powers? That's fine. Taught them how to drive from one cliff to another cliff. Like, how do you justice learn? for Han? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Were you upset when they? I was kind of upset that they pushed the release of the next one out, but you know, it will yeah, come out soon. Look, but. We what are we sitting on, 11? There's 11 more to watch, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah, Hobbs and Shaw was on the other night and that one's a crazy, I mean, that's canon, I guess, but it's not official, it's like a spinoff, but that one is wild. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, just know, I just want them to explain how they're able to do all this stuff. Like, and now they're all working for the FBI or some type of agency, like. Amanda, it's true, cool. it's tr based on real life. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, the final question that we ask: yeah, we need, oh, we need, we need things where, you know, you don't got to think, and you can. That's just, true. That's Honestly, okay. uh, that's, that's what Real House Housewives are, is for me. <laughs> Real Housewives is your Fast and Furious. That's my Fast and Furious. Because yeah. there's like there's like eleven other of you know oh if, you, if one gets canceled okay. there's like eleven of them. And there's, there's always one on, so you never have to be without a Real Housewives ever. It's great. I love it. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, and our final question, we ask this to all our guests, is there an underrepresented voice in the industry, whether it's an actor, writer, producer, uh, any creator that is not in the mainstream that you think deserves more shine and re more recognition by Hollywood? Wow. Multiple answers are accepted. <laughs> can, I, can I include people that I think are doing interesting, cool work? Yeah. No, anyone, anyone. Um, I think these are the like the three folks that I think are just doing interesting and unique work. I think um, it, it was so cool to see. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the show Never Have I Ever, but to see yes. kind of really take off and see her be this 
I think she's going to be this young comedic actress that is so funny and her timing's great and just the story arc and her swag and her attitude. It's really cool to see. Um, and I just think she's a superstar. Um, someone else, this is a comedian friend of mine that, I, that, has, that has been doing interesting work for years, Fahim Anwar, really funny stand-up comedian, really funny perspective on the world. Um, and then number three, uh, this is a guy who's doing, I think, really interesting work in, in comedy out of New York, uh, Andrew Schultz. He's a, what he's doing in the podcasting world and the stand-up world and kind of as an independent comedy thinker, he's doing really cool stuff. So those are three different types of voices that I think that are out there that are doing cool stuff. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Thank you so much for, for yeah. today. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. I, I like the, the the sun is like hitting you in the right. It's a very picturesque moment. I'm getting, I'm getting my vitamin D right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not letting quarantine ruin, ruin that for me. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, thank yeah. you. No, so much. yeah, and yeah, thank you so much for just being here and talking to us and doing <laughs> what you do. You, you you're yeah, doing like amazing things with the show, and you know, <laughs> and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care, guys. Take care, you too.